Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. We have many reasons to praise your name, but the biggest reason that we have is that you gave us your son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross and rise back to life again and go into heaven so that we could have eternal life. And so I pray today that we'll experience your love and your grace and that we'll point other people to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to point our service now. We're going to dismiss River Kids. That's kindergarten through fifth grade. They've got the back doors to the right. Also, the flood student ministry, they've got the back doors to their area. While they're being dismissed, around, shake a few hands and meet someone you do not know. Where's Kit Kat come from? Where did this Kit Kat come from? The one Cindy gave me. Um, that's right. <laughs> was it good? Okay, if we could come together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if you don't mind to still stay standing. Uh, what I'd like to do is just uh, take a brief moment and pray for Pastor Jimmy and his family. Uh, if you didn't know, he had a death in his family unexpectedly this week. It was his cousin they passed, uh, that passed away, and his cousin was more like a brother to him and Jimmy. And so we want to pray for him and pray for the family, but also the traveling. They travel from Virginia and North and South Carolina and Georgia all over uh, to be in Atlanta, Georgia for this. And so let's just take a moment and let's pray for them. God, right now, I just want to pray for the Britt family who has experienced an unexpected loss this week and uh, the, the feelings and hurt and uh, sadness that they have. I pray that your peace and your presence would be there among them. I pray that there was opportunity uh, to, uh, to have great memories of the, of the cousin that was gone, the son, the friend that passed away. I pray that your blessings will be upon them. Give them safe travel mercies as the families go back to their areas of, of Tennessee and North and South Carolina to Virginia, that they'll send you with them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. We're continuing our God on Film series today, and so I'm excited uh, to be talking about uh, transforming grace, and you've got uh, message notes inside your bulletin. Now, as a kid, I was a comic book geek. I loved comic books, and I'm excited, like coming up July 7th, I got it on my calendar, about ready to buy my tickets, is Spider-Man. I am so excited about that movie. But as a kid, you know, I grew up loving Transformers, the cartoons, and I get so excited by that. And then there was... Um, uh, the action figure came out. Do y'all remember Sears Robux Wish Book that came out every November? Man, I loved that book. And me and my brothers, we would go through that book three or four times a day, circle what we want, and go through it. Well, they had Optimus Prime in there. And Optimus Prime is the leader of the Transformers. He's the leader of the Autobots. And so that action figure in there, I was so excited. And so I saved up my money. I was hoping to get it for Christmas, but it didn't work out. And so I was hoping to get it for the birthday, but it didn't work out. So I was able to save money up to buy me that Optimus Prime. And I was so excited. And I gave it to my mom, the money to my mom to buy it. Well, you know, back then they didn't have Amazon Prime, right? 
It took six weeks for it to get here, not six hours. And so with that, I was like, oh my gosh, it seemed like an attorney, but I finally got it. And so what Optimus Prime is, he's the leader of the Autobots. And the Autobots would battle against the Decepticons. And the Decepticons were the bad guys, and they wanted to destroy Earth. And so I loved it. I was so excited. And the thing that with the Transformers, you know, they were more than meets the eye. They were robots in disguise. And so I loved it. And so Optimus his prime, he would transform from a tractor trailer into a robot. He would, and the other trans, all, uh, all the other ones would transform from like a gun into a robot. And so, man, I love the, uh, the Transformers. And so today, my message is somewhat being revolved around the Transformers, but instead of us as human beings transforming into robots, we're going to talk about being transformed by grace. Having a grace that's transformed and a, a life that is uh, transformed by Jesus. And so sometimes we call ourselves Christians. We go to church and we do all this stuff on Sunday mornings or throughout the week volunteering and serving. But we're really not living a transformed life. Because we still do the same things that we always did. We still do the same things, you know, or think about the same things that we thought about before we experience Jesus in our life. Before we experience grace in our lives. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that we go around by having a transformed life. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, no, you shouldn't do that. That's up to the Holy Spirit to do. That's not my job, and that's not your job. Another thing that we shouldn't do is just walk around like we've got halos on our heads. That's only the pictures of baby Jesus at Christmas time, right? And also another thing that we shouldn't do is act like we have it all together, and that life is perfect, because it's not. But what it does mean and what it does and what will happen with being transformed by grace is that it's no longer about me and that it's no longer about you, but it's all about Jesus and that it's no longer about me and my life would point other people to Jesus and that your life would point other people to Jesus. And so we see a beautiful picture, a beautiful example of grace in the Bible. And we see that in Luke chapter 15. And to set it up here, it's the story of the prodigal son. Is Jesus talking to a crowd of people, and he begins to tell them this story. And with that, there was a father who had two sons, and the youngest son wanted his inheritance. He wanted to go be his own man, live his own life, and do his own thing. And he said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, the father gave his son the inheritance. And he took his inheritance and went to another country, to another town, and you know, had this wild living and enjoyed life, living it to the fullest, and all his friends around him. Then all of a sudden, the money ran out. And then all the friends left. And then a famine hit, which is like a depression back then. He could not find a job. He couldn't find anything to do, any way to get money, any way to eat. And he had to go work on this farm. Not just any farm, but a pig farm. And what's unique about that was that he was a Jew. Jews didn't do anything with pigs because pigs were unclean. They didn't get to experience bacon or barbecue or ham. I'm glad I'm a Gentile. I'm glad I'm not a Jew. Right? But with that, this is how low his life had become. That he had to compromise who he was to work with unclean animals. He spiritually was compromised, and he had to, he had to work with these unclean animals. <clears throat> it was even so bad that he started eating their food. He was so hungry. And there's a beautiful phrase that, that says, and then he came to his senses. 
he realized that his father's slaves had it much better than what he had. He thought, maybe, maybe, just, just maybe I can go and be one of my father's slaves. And this is where we pick up right here in Luke chapter 15. So then the son returned to his father while he was still a long distance away. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, meaning you're not going to be a slave. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, meaning that he is my son again. Kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with the feast. For the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. And here's the great thing about that. We as Christians sometimes, we forget about that grace that was given to us the moment that we become a Christian. We forget and stop living in light of that grace that that was given to us that moment that we became a Christian. Jesus right here is painting a beautiful picture of that grace. He is painting a beautiful picture of that restored relationship. You know, and, and grace, it just goes against everything that we learned growing up, right? That it's something free. It's something that's given to us. But growing up here, you know, if you want to make good grades, you've got to work hard for it. If you want to, you know, make a lot of money, you got to work long and hard hours to make a lot of, to make that money. If you uh, if you want this, you know, really there's nothing for free, right? You don't get something for nothing because you got to work for it. You know, the early bird gets the worm, and so grace flies into everything that's ingrained into us from children, because we have to work hard at everything that we got. But grace is free. Grace is freely given to us. Grace is a free gift. You know, grace is just not part of the Christian message. Grace is the Christian message. Because if it wasn't for grace, none of us would be here. And so like with the prodigal son, as we read, you know, read about that story, it was grace that restored him fully back into his father's house. It is grace that fully restores us back into God's house, into God's kingdom. And so what is the definition of grace? Here's a beautiful definition I came across. Grace is love that is unconditional. It's forgiveness that's unlimited. And a passion for you that's unending. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be compelled by grace into a relationship with someone when they hear that definition? How many people you know just needs unfailing love? How many people do you know that just needs unconditional friendship? That needs unconditional relationships. They need unconditional love. Because that's what grace is. That's what grace is. Now, the simple answer of grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. We don't deserve grace, but it's been given to us. But why has it been given to us? Why do I need grace? I mean, I'm not killing anybody. I don't cuss, smoke, or chew, or run around with girls who do. So why do I need grace? We need grace because Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Circle that right there because this is why we need grace. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
That means everybody. Not just me, not just you, but everyone, everyone in here, we have fallen short. We have fallen short of the glory of God. So what is God's glory? God's glory is perfection. Why is it perfection? Because God is holy. You know, I need grace because I still think bad thoughts. I need grace because I still do bad things. I need grace because, you know, I am not perfect. And none of us in here are perfect. Anybody here go to college and you've heard of the bell curve? Let me tell you right now. I lived by the bell curve. There are some classes I probably wouldn't pass if it went for the bell curve. What the bell curve is, let's say you're in a class, you take an exam, and nobody in class gets 100. But the highest grade in the class is 95. Well, what the professor would do would give that person five points to get them to 100, and then everyone else would get five points. Well, for me, that five points meant either passing or failing. And so I was like, yes, I'll take that. And I hated getting in class with my smart friends because they always busted the bell curve. It was only like one or two points, and I needed four or five points. You know? But you know, we're not graded on a bell curve. You know, we're also not graded based upon judging ourselves with other people or comparing with other people. Because, you know, I might compare really well to Hitler. I might compare really well to Miley Cyrus. I might compare really well to uh, Kim Kardashian. Right? But here's the thing. I might not compare well to Billy Graham or Rick Warren, who pastors one of the largest churches in America, sent thousands of people out into the mission field. I might not compare really well to one of my best friends and mentor, Jimmy Britt, because they're different. God gave us grace that makes us all equal. And so I'm not to compare myself to you, and you're not to compare yourself to me, because what God's grace does, it, compare, it makes us all equal. Now, the thing with grace is like, it's given to sinners. Well, I, I'm not a sinner. You know, we live in everybody participation award society, right? And so everybody gets a trophy for this, and everybody gets a trophy for that. And so we don't like to think these unpolitical things that everyone's a sinner, right? But we are. I am. I'm a sinner. And you know what reminds me most of it that I'm a sinner? Is my children, Michael Dean and Sadie Rose. Because let me tell you, when they were born, I was there. And within minutes of their birth, I've got to hold them in my arms. What an incredible moment as a parent, as a dad, getting to hold my kids in their arm and looking at them and like, oh my gosh, there is nothing in life any better than this. But then they start talking. <laughs> and they back talk. They scream and yell. And they fuss. And they lie. They try to get the other sibling in trouble. I didn't teach them that. You know, they got that from their mom. <laughs> but there's just something in their DNA that just causes them to do that. I didn't teach them to act like that. I didn't teach them to say that. They just did that. And that's the sin that I'm talking about that we need grace to help us with in our lives. That's the sin that we're born with, the sin that's in our DNA that we need forgiveness for, and that grace gives us that restored relationship with God. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ also suffered when he died for our sins, once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners, that he might bring us safely to home, 
You know, the death and resurrection, what that does, it makes us all equal under God's grace. No bell curve, no judgment based upon what I've done. We are all treated equal and part of his family. It makes us one. It makes us with him. It doesn't matter what I have done or what you've done. We are all accepted as his children. And Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift from God. And so it is nothing of what I did. And it is nothing of what you did. It is everything that Jesus did. And his son and Jesus dying on the cross so that we can have a relationship with him. Now, who likes Disney World? I love Disney World. Now, if you've ever been to Disney World, there's a lot of craziness that's there, right? A lot of chaos and overpriced food and all long lines and stuff. But there's just enough magic at Disney World to make you want to go back, right? Well, there's this story that this uh, pastor from Kentucky, he is a pastor of uh, Sojourning Church. His name is uh, Timothy Paul Jones. And he adopted this little girl. And he, he, she became their middle child. And he got her from a previous adoption. The family dissolved that adoption. But with this, they said this little girl was terror. She was trouble. She was all the time stealing and cheating and doing bad things. But the family never really integrated her in with their biological children. They left her with friends and went to go to Disney World. They did all the fun stuff that you do in Orlando and did all the great things. And they came back and told her and showed her the pictures and all the fun stuff that they did in Disney World without her going to experience it. And the family dissolved that relationship. And then Timothy Paul Jones and his family adopted her as their middle child. And so with that, they communicate her, you are part of our family. And we are going to go to Disney World as a family. But with that, her behavior spiraled down and got worse. And she was all the time getting her sisters in trouble. And she was stealing things when they, she could have just asked for it and got it. And she was getting in all this other kind of trouble. And, and even going down to Disney World, you know, stopping at the hotels and the rest areas and the restaurants, she was terror. But they finally made it Disney World. Lank Buena Vista, you know that if you've ever been to Disney World. That's where Disney World's at. And they went into the gates, and she was there and just having the day at Disney World. And they went home or back to the hotel. He put her down. He was praying with her and talking with her. And he said, how was your first day at Disney? Not knowing what to expect from her. She said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. I finally got to go to Disney World. Not because I was good, but because I'm yours. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's why he gives us his grace. That's how we get into his kingdom. That's how we get into the magic kingdom. Not because we're good, but because we are his. And the very moment that you proclaim that you're a Christian and you accepted his grace, you're his. And you get that gift into his kingdom. That's what Jesus offers us so freely. So his grace, grace is love that's unconditional. And we need grace because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does grace do? Grace transforms me. Grace transforms me. How does grace transform me? Grace does two things. Number one, grace breaks the labels from my past. Grace breaks the labels from my past. 
Now, have you noticed like during the summer, like ABC and all these other uh, shows on Sunday nights and Saturday nights, we have all these game shows coming on, like the $100,000 Pyramid and Family Feud and all that stuff. It's kind of fun to watch. Well, I want to play a game this morning. It's not like Family Feud. But what I want to do, I want to uh, state a name, and I want you to say the label that's attached to that name, okay? You do that? So let's start out. I'm going to say this name and just say the label that's attached to their name. There was Attila, Attila the what? Hun, very good. There was Conan the, that's right. There was Billy the, very good. There's Buffy the, very good, y'all good. Winnie the, Dale Earnhardt is the man, or the intimidator. Oh, very good. He is the man, that's right. Um, Richard Petty is the, that's right. Donnie Eisenhower is the... No, let's leave it there. We'll stop there. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your life. And what label has it been attached to your name that has followed you all of your, your life or maybe the past five years? Maybe it's, um, he's the lazy one. He'll never do anything. He'll never amount to nothing. He won't do much of anything. He's the lazy one. Maybe he's the hothead. He, you, you, you could just get him all upset and he'll just go off like that. Maybe he's the one that's not good with money. Maybe she's the party girl. Or maybe he's the wild and crazy guys like Steve Martin, right? Maybe you're just the average Joe. You're not great at anything. You're not bad at anything you're just average and what we need to understand what God wants to say to us is to look at what his word has to say to us he says this God's grace is always bigger than your past God's grace is always bigger than your past it doesn't matter what has done and what has taken place in our life. You know what? Maybe that label is true about you. Maybe you are lazy. Maybe you are bad with money. But here's the thing. What is true about you today doesn't have to be true about you tomorrow. Because what God's grace does, it transforms you into a new person. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how bad your past is. You are a new person. The moment you ask Jesus into your life, you're becoming a new person. And that's why we baptize by submersion here at Rock River Church. Next uh, Sunday, after the third service, we're going to have a baptism. And what we do with baptism, it's a, sim- a symbol of everyone that's there that you're following Jesus and that the old person is going to go down in the water and come back up as a new person. That's what Jesus' love does for us. It makes us a new person. That's what his grace does. It makes us a new person. And if you're a Christian today, don't let that labels from your past hold you back from moving forward. Because I believe the, I believe the devil wants to remind you constantly of your past to keep you from moving forward and experiencing the fullness of God to live a life abundantly. Not just a life, but an abundant life. And there is no better story than this in the Bible. And I love this story. And this lady's name was only mentioned eight times in the Bible. Eight times. 
But six of those times, this label was attached to her name. Her name was Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the hooker. Rahab the whore. Could you imagine what that would do to you? That label was very true for her. That's what she was. And we see her starting out in Joshua chapter 2. She was the one that had taken the spies to live with her. And so what this was going on, she lived in Jericho. Jericho was in the new promised land that was promised to the Israelites. The Israelites had spent 40 years in the desert wandering around. God was doing some incredible things and delivered them from the Egyptians. And the stories about the Israelites began to spread in that new land. And the people in Jericho was hearing these stories about what was going on to the nation of Israel that was marching into, the, into Canaan. Well, she was in Jericho, and she's maybe started to get excited to hear about these stories. And she was like, well, maybe God could give me a new life. Maybe God can experience some of that greatness that the children of Israel are experiencing. And so two, the spies went in to scope out Jericho, and she found these spies and brought them into her home. Hopefully, maybe to hear what was going on and, and what was taking place. But God used her. She risked her life to take these spies into her home. And God promised her that her and her family and her friends that were within her residence would live. And they lived. And then they, when Jericho fell, her and her family lived and survived. And they became part of the Israelites. And then when she became part of the Israelites, this, this prostitute, this hooker, this uh, whore found a man. Because other times before, there's no way I want to break this. There's no way I want to find a man and have a family. There's no way that there's going to be any love attached to what I'm doing whatsoever. But she finds this man named Salmon. They get married and they have a son. Then she has a great-grandson. Then she has another great-grandson. And in total, she has five great-grandsons. A great, 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 great-grandson. That fifth great-grandson was Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, come back to life to give us salvation for our sins. And if God can use her to be in the family tree of Jesus Christ and break the label from her, what can he do in your life? So any label that you have that has followed you your whole life, God can do it. God can break the label. He can break the label and do awesome things in your life. Maybe you're feeling this burden of your past. Maybe you're feeling the burden of that you're never good enough. Maybe you're just feeling this burden that you're never smart enough. But listen, God can break that label of your past and let you move forward with freedom. And don't let anybody tell you any different because you know there are naysayers in life, right? Don't let God tell you any different. Be transformed from the old person into the new person so you can live a life of grace. What God's grace does, number two, is God's grace frees us. God's grace frees us. With that, you know, maybe you've accepted his grace and you accepted his freedom. You've accepted your forgiveness. And then within hours, you just mess up again. You say bad things again, and, and you do bad things again, and, and you'll mess up. And maybe it's just even trying to get the kids, putting them in the car, right? And, and right after you leave church. Or, or maybe it's like two weeks ago, leaving camp, trying to get 14 boys ready and loaded up. I'm like, will their mom, dad really miss them? 
Because let me tell you, when I'm ready to go, I am ready to go. And here's, here's something that happened in my life you know, a couple years ago. I, I told you I love Disney World. I love going with my family. I just I love it. And we were getting ready to go to Disney you know, for, you know, for extended weekend. And, and I had my day planned out. Okay, this needs to happen here and at this time and this time and this time. I had everything planned out. I was wanting to be home by 2 o'clock and, and then you know, beat Courtney home. And they had the kids ready and we will go. Nothing like that happened at all. It was uh, 45 minutes to an hour off and going this, this way, and I was getting crazy. I was about to lose it, but I was doing good, and it was doing okay. I was doing fine. Well, then we, I, uh, Courtney had already been home, and so I rushed in. I parked kind of crazy in the driveway, and I was helping. We loaded the, the expedition up, we loaded the kids up. We got in and turned the car on. Courtney was like, oh, we forgot something. <sighs> okay. Let's go do it. And so we get the kids back out. We had to take care of it. And we took care of this. And then we got back up in the car and turned it on and backed out. Bam! I hit my car. I hit my car. And let me tell you, it's never the sweet, sugary words that come to your mouth in front of the kids, does it? It's always the bad four-letter ones that come out in front of the wife and kids. And so I pulled it back and forth and I... You know, I, I didn't floor it, but I almost did because I'd have been in my backyard then. But I, I, I just put up, I got out, and I looked at my car, and I added another shoe size 10 dent to my side of my car. I was so mad. I had had it. Bam! I had an insult to injury. But for whatever reason, that was a release. But I was just, God's grace covers that. God's grace covers that. And what God's grace does, it doesn't make me perfect. What God's grace does, it doesn't make you perfect. But what God's grace does is make us forgiven. That no matter what we have done, you know, no matter the moment we, we lose it, God's grace makes us forgiven. And it's easy to think about in those moments. Oh, God is just not, he, he's just, there's no way I could do this. He's just going to uh, sit in judgment over me. No, no, there's nothing to be guilty about. Because I believe we have a very real enemy that wants us to swim in a sea of guilt, a sea of condemnation that keeps us from becoming who we fully want to be. Guilt is never from God. Grace is always from God. And so be free from guilt. In Ephesians, in chapter 1, 7 and 8, it says, If we are set free by the blood of his death, so that we may have forgiveness of the sin, how rich is God's grace which he has given to us fully and freely. That grace takes the shackles of guilt off our life. That grace allows us to move forward. That grace takes away the labels from everything that we have done and makes us a new person. In Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, forgiven whose sin is put out of sight, what joy for those who record the Lord as cleared of sin, whose lives are completely honest in honesty. All my guilt is gone. Your guilt is gone. Don't live and swim in that sea of guilt. You'll make mistakes. I make mistakes. I still think bad things. I still dent my car. No, I don't. Only just one time. But we'll still do bad things. But that grace is to help us to live a life free from guilt and free from sin so that we can move forward with God. 
And here's the thing. There are people, there are, there, I know there's been other pastors and other teachers that don't teach about God's grace. Because they feel that if you teach about God's grace, then people will take advantage of it and abuse it. But I feel if you teach about God's grace, it will make you fall more in love with him. It will help you to see who you really are without his grace. It will help you to grow more in your relationship with him. And in John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter what we've said, he still gives us his grace. No matter what we've done, he still gives us his grace. No matter how I act, he still gives us his grace. And here's what's awesome. In Isaiah 43, 25, Isaiah writes, I I am the one who erases all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Here's the thing. God forgets our sins. And it's not like he's forgetful. (gasps) Where do I put my keys? Um, Where do I put my keys? Where's my phone? I'd much rather lose my keys than my phone. But where's my phone? Oh, where did I put that planet? Oh, oh. We don't have a forgetful God. We have a God that chooses to forget. We have a God that chooses to forget your sins because of his grace. So that you can be in relationship with him. So what is our response to grace? How are we to respond back to grace? 1 Timothy 1.16 says, This is why God had mercy on me. So that Jesus Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Others can realize that too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. The band is, supposed to, is going to come forward here in a few minutes. But we are to be dispensers of God's grace. That's our response. We are to be dispensers of God's grace. Here's why we're to be dispensers of God's grace. Because there are people that you can relate to that I can't. There are people that I can relate to that you you can't. And your story of your changed life is an example of God's grace. And so we can be dispensers of God's grace. So let me tell you this. Who likes gifts? You like gifts? I love gifts. I like to give them and I like to receive them. I got a gift. Genevieve, I'm sorry to raise your hand. So I got a gift here for you. Got this gift here. Now, you can choose with that gift whether to share that gift or keep that gift to yourself. Now, to be honest, it would help my sermon illustration much better if you would share your gift. Okay? But look inside. Look inside. Look inside and see what you have. It's, it's seven Kit Kats. You like, anybody here like Kit Kats? Okay, now Genevieve, with that... You're welcome to share your Kit Kats with people around you. You want to share your Kit Kats with people around you? Okay. So you go ahead and share them. <laughs> That's a generous heart, Genevieve. That is awesome. You got one for yourself? You can have one to yourself. 
Wow, you're just spreading it all around. Awesome. So with that, you know, what Genevieve did, there were seven Kit Kats in there. And so with that, she was sharing the love, right, with the Kit Kats. There were to seven other people. But let's say the seven other people that got the Kit Kats, you go and you share seven other Kit Kats with other people. And then you go and share seven other Kit Kats with other people. But let's say that's God's grace. Not Kit Kats, but let's say that's God's grace. That's given to us so freely that we go and we share love with seven other people. And then those seven other people go and share it with seven more other people. And that those people go and share it with seven more other people. Then those people go and share it with seven more other people. Just four people removed. that, That one person sharing it with seven people will start a sharing with 16,807 people. Do you know how many people live within a two-mile radius of this church? 13,981. So with you just sharing your grace with seven people, then those seven other people go and share it with other people, and then on down the line, do you think that could change Harrisburg? Do you think that could change Concord? Let's do it even closer to home. Do you think that could change your family? Do you think that could change your workplace? We are to become dispensers of grace. You're not going to always have the right answers. I don't always have the right answers. But we can be dispensers of grace to everyone that is around us. To show them God's love. And as the band plays, I want you to think about your life. Do you, are you living a life that is transformed by grace? Have you experienced God's grace enough to where it's no longer about you, but it's about Jesus? Have you never experienced God's grace and you just think that God can never love me? I want to challenge you today. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but today you want to experience the grace for the first time, on that connection card, I want you to put your contact information and put a B on there. Because they've got some resources to help you to become a Christian and to grow and experience a new life that is transformed by grace. And put that in the offering basket as you leave. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you've never really been transformed. And you're just holding that gift to yourself and you're not sharing that gift. Maybe today you realize that you need to do that. And you want to live in his grace and you want to be a dispenser of grace and you want to be transformed. I want to know about that too. Put your contact information on the connection card. And then put a G on there for grace. Because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you to move forward from whatever it is that's holding you back from telling other people, from serving and from volunteering and and working as part of the body of Christ. And put that in the offering basket as you leave. I'd like to ask you to stand. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for that love and the grace that you freely offer us. That no matter what I have done, You give me your grace. And no matter what I have done, 
you still love me. Your grace covers my imperfections. Your grace makes me a new person. And for those that have never experienced your grace before, I pray today will be a brand new day. Beginning a relationship with you. That they'll live a life that's transformed by your grace. And for the Christian that's been coming to church for a long time, that's never lived in your grace and that's never pointed other people to you, I pray today is a new day for them. They'll understand that we have a priority, that it's not about us, but it's about you. And that we'll volunteer and serve and, and use the gifts that you've given us. That we'll trust you with our finances. That we'll trust you with no matter what we're doing in life. That we'll be, all be transformed by grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.